Amen. You can grab a seat. Well, my name is Austin, one of the pastors here. Hey, uh, question for you that's probably not a smart question in the midst of a room that's pretty full, but just by show of hands, how many of you guys have had COVID? How many of you guys have had COVID? Show of hands. Wow. Okay. I don't know what that has to say about our church or you guys, but anyways, well, praise God that you're healthy. Praise God that you're safe now. Please don't tell me you got that diagnosis less than 10 days ago. And, uh, and uh, anyways, uh, so... Um, by, by the way, um, COVID can be devastating and deadly. I think it just became the third leading cause of death in the U.S. So for all the nurses, PAs, doctors, health professionals that are laboring to care for people, keep themselves, can we give it up? Like just to say real heroes, it's amazing. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. So um, uh, but I, I have several, a uh, uh, good handful of people in my network and circle of friends that have had COVID before. So I just kind of did some research basically this week and just asked them, hey, so uh, in your experience with COVID, what was the worst part about it, right? Now, disclaimer, they didn't, uh, none of them were hospitalized, but they did uh, experience serious symptoms. So I just asked them, what was the worst part of having COVID? And uh, if for all the people that raised their hand is you're kind of internalizing this, surprisingly to me, they didn't say shortness of breath, difficulty breathing, loss of taste and smell, uh, fever, just generally feeling miserable and sick. They said the worst part of COVID was being isolated from the people they loved most, okay? That the worst part of it wasn't necessarily the physical symptoms, but the emotional reality that occurred because they were separated and quarantined from ones they love. So, I mean, I literally heard of husbands that had to quarantine uh, and not hug their wife for 10 days. I talked to... Um, uh, friends that couldn't see their other friends and had to stay in the room isolated, couldn't hang out with the roommates. Uh, family members missing birthdays mean the whole thing. And they just explained like, it makes sense that I had to quarantine. But at the same time, it was, uh, it was hard to internalize that people were tangibly avoiding me because I could get them sick. And it doesn't make sense, but it doesn't make it any easier. And you might go, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, in Luke chapter five, in our verses, we meet a man who's been in quarantine for years. Okay, uh, a man who's been looked down on, stayed away from, outcast from society. And uh, it wasn't like a, hey, wait 10 days to two weeks and then you can hop back in or it, n- none of that. I mean, there, if you're experiencing kind of minor symptoms, there, there wasn't a hospital bed or amazing nurses and doctors to take care of them. Although I get that it would be terribly difficult if you had COVID, but he was completely abandoned sick with a thing called leprosy. And you may wonder how leprosy and COVID, ha- what they have to do together, but let me ask you this. Have you ever felt abandoned? Have you ever felt alone? Have you ever felt uh, left out or avoided? And maybe it's because you were in quarantine and you're like, yeah, that was fresh that I felt all of those things. Or maybe you felt left out because people knew your sin or your, your mess up and they all just kind of uh, categorized you in that arena. Or maybe you feel left out, avoided, abandoned by God because you know, man, he's got a standard for how I should live and I'm not living that way. And he's probably distant, avoiding me and pushing me away. I don't know what it is, but the verses we're gonna study this morning burst with good news for those of, of us who felt abandoned, avoided, and left out and alone. So the point, the thread you're gonna see through these verses is this, very simply, that affection and acceptance are offered through Jesus to the abandoned, okay? We're gonna see that over and over again. How? To summarize the story, the verses that we're gonna look at, here's my best effort in one sentence. It's a slight run on, but I did my best to give a one sentence summary of the story. Here it is. A leper abandoned by all, 
approaches Jesus by faith and gets affectionately cleansed, which allows them to be accepted back into community. Okay, story, uh, just in a single sentence, a leper abandoned by all approaches Jesus by faith and gets affectionately cleansed, which allows him to be accepted back into community. So that's where we're gonna go. Uh, and um, we'll start in verse 12. So chapter five, you got a Bible, verse 12. I think it'll be up on the screen too. Let's read it. Look at part one. While he was in one of the cities, talking about Jesus, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. All right. So the first part of our story is we see a leper abandoned by all approach Jesus by faith. So let's answer the question, what is leprosy, right? He's called a leper, but we need to clarify and understand what is this thing called leprosy. Uh, More commonly today, it's known as Hansen's disease, if you're familiar with that. But leprosy is a horrible disease that leads to the degeneration of your entire body. So lepers' nose uh, and ears would uh, generally fall off. The hands and feet would become so deformed and disfigured that eventually rot and fall off as well. A slow, unthinkable death, even weird to explain. But after years of focused research recently, they figured out that the core root of leprosy is that it attacks, it negatively attacks and affects the body's warning system of pain. So you want to know what is leprosy or why is it so bad is that it negatively affects our body's warning system of pain. Essentially, it brings numbness to your extremity. So in third world countries, there's stories of um, uh, lepers sleeping and rats will literally bite and eat their like feet and limbs and arms and stuff. And they don't even wake up because they can't feel it. Dr. Brand is a doctor who studied leprosy extensively in Hansen's disease, and he called it a painless hell. That was his explanation of it. And so you're watching your body decay day after day without any way to help or heal, right? Seems pretty hopeless. When it comes to our guy in Luke 5, though, I want to just explain leprosy, what we just learned about what it is, in three different categories. The emotional trauma, uh, the physical trauma, emotional trauma, and spiritual trauma that would come with having leprosy. So look back at verse 12. It says, while Jesus was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. Okay, so let's understand first this uh, physical aspect of it. Full of leprosy. Uh, In other areas of our Bible, when it mentions lepers, it literally just says a leper. Luke specifically says full of leprosy. Why does he say that? Because he wants us to know that leprosy has run its course in this man. Remember, it's a gradual degenerative disease that's happening over time. So when he says full of leprosy, what he's saying is it has made its way. It's worked on this guy. He is full of leprosy. So here's my understanding of what what happened over time to this man. You can expect that he has open lesions covering his body. His hands and his feet are completely deformed. His nose nose is caved in, maybe an ear hanging on from a thread. It's not a pretty sight. Scholars believe um, that full of leprosy meant that he had leprosy for maybe around 10 years. So 10 years of hopelessly watching his body decay. Can't imagine it. The hopelessness of trying to slow down an inevitable process of disfigurement. Every morning, picture it, waking up and watching more of you taken over by this horrible disease. 
Leprosy involved an immense amount of physical pain, right? But that's not all. Also emotional pain. So what happened to his community? Uh, If you want to become a pro on leprosy, you just have to go back and read Leviticus 13 and 14. It's in our Old Testaments. So if you're taking notes, you like marking your Bible right next to these verses, I would literally just write Leviticus 13 and 14, L-E-V dot 13 and 14 to read back and get context of what's going on and how to handle a leper and what a leper should do and how to be cleansed and all that stuff. But in Leviticus 13, here's what it says on a rundown of what a leper would do if they found out they had leprosy, okay? Uh, Leviticus 13, verses 45 through 46. Here's what it says. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip crying out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Okay, did you catch that? Uh, that's the diagnosis. That's the doctor's orders, right? You think like, oh, can I get some Tylenol, ibuprofen, get some Benadryl, solve it? No, like literally this is all the things you need to do if you have leprosy. Number one, wear torn clothes. So in essence, you can't cover up what's going on. Your skin lesions, all this, the deformities and stuff, you can't put shoes on to cover it up. You can't put pants on a sh- like people need to see with your torn clothes. Two, keep your hair long and uncut and unkept. Essentially, that would mean, like, you put those two together, you look crazy, right? Like, torn up clothes, uh, unkept hair, all that, people are repulsed by you. Three, you have to scream unclean, unclean when anyone is around you. Do you know the emotional, psychological effect that you would, that you would experience by constantly telling people unclean, unclean? Like, and they looking, them looking at you, and you declaring yourself unclean and the disdain that that would come with. Uh, Four, it says he is unclean. That's core identity language. It's who you are. You're an unclean leper. Five, he shall live alone. This is really crucial. Lepers had to live alone. We see a group of lepers sometimes. Sometimes they'd maybe make a community together. Most of the time they would be on their own. They could not live with any friends or family or whatever. And lastly, his dwelling shall be outside the camp. So lepers cannot be inside the city. Nothing inside the city. So let's just be clear. Having leprosy means you will be an outsider until the day you die. You'll never get to make new friends. You'll have to say goodbye to all your previous friends and family. You'll forever be looked down upon as you remind people that you're unclean while screaming it and your torn clothes. Can you imagine the emotional and psychological torment that leprosy would cause? Saying goodbye to all your loved ones, living alone, deemed unclean by everyone, immense emotional pain with no hope to heal it. That's not it though. It gets one worse spiritual pain. So we've covered physical, emotional, now spiritual. Two things play into this. If this weren't bad enough, all that we just described, people also thought that people got leprosy because they committed a great sin against God. So there's three people in the Old Testament who got leprosy as a judgment from their sin. And so what happened is they took those examples and went, oh, Miriam got leprosy because of her sin. You must have had it because of your sin. And so track with me, Now everyone is looking at you with leprosy because they all know and they're going, that person must have done something really messed up to get it. Now, if you track with the first two and the last one, the spiritual pain isn't true, at least having leprosy would cause some sort of pity or compassion, right? Played out. Oh man, Trevor, what a bummer that he got leprosy, man. I love that guy. He was so sweet. We always, uh, you know, supported him on his trips and stuff like that. Wow, man, it's just so sad he got leprosy. It's too bad. It happens to all of us, you know, or any of us. 
but you track it and that's not true for their concept of leprosy, they go, man, Trevor, we must have had a wrong view of him. He must have done something really twisted, really messed up to get himself into leprosy. God must have really, you know, like that's the, there's no pity, there's no compassion. It's like looking down on. The other aspect of spiritual pain is that since you're not able to live inside the city, that means you can't go to the temple to worship or learn about God. So lepers abandoned outside of the city would not be able to come in and learn about God's word, read God's word, sing with other people. And by the way, sacrificing consistently uh, uh, for your sins was a consistent part of their life. And they couldn't do that either because they couldn't come in the city. So there's no way to atone for your sins. There's no way to connect with God through the word or through the temple. I mean, it's significant. It's spiritual pain that caused from it. You track with me? A leper was abandoned by all, experiencing physical, emotional, spiritual pain, but look what he does. Verse 12, a man full of leprosy, I think we understand what that is now. When he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. So beginning of verse 12, it says when Jesus was in one of those cities, and then it says the lepers in front of him. Now, again, you are supposed to not be inside the city. That's Leviticus 13. So the leper had to break the law to get in front of Jesus. So the picture you get is he probably had to make a dead sprint to Jesus before people stopped him. So think of like Super Bowl, the guy that jumped on the field and ran around for a little while. Like think of that picture. Like he's running. He's like, I'm going to get caught, but I got to get this thing done, right? And he runs over to Jesus. But the only shift is full of leprosy. His legs are probably deformed. His toes have fallen. I mean, he's probably just hobbling as fast as he can to get to Jesus, knowing this is wrong, but he has to get there. And he finally gets to Jesus. And guess what he does? Guess what he says? Now, if you had leprosy, with the emotional and the physical and the spiritual pain and all of that. And you had a chance. There was a person who you heard about could maybe just maybe heal you. And you had all the time to think about what would you do if you finally got in front of that person? How would that first interaction go? If it were me, y'all better believe I would have a speech planned out to the second. You know what I mean? It would be, I'd have a little paper, I'd be shaking, you know, like ready, but I'd probably have it memorized. And so would you. I would be thinking, I mean, it would be eloquent and it would be thoughtful and it would probably be long and there would be vision in it. And I would somewhere along the way explain all of the good things I did along the way. Hey, Jesus, want to let you know, I welcomed some other lepers and I taught them how to get some food and how to, what berries to eat, what berries not to eat. You know, it's like, there's some sense of that, that you would assume you would communicate your achievements or your resume, but he doesn't do any of it. His moment that he just broke the law and ran as fast as he could and hobbles his way to Jesus and he falls on his face. He doesn't give an eloquent speech. He doesn't mention what he's done. What I love about this is it's just about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He goes on his face and, uh, and he says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. I want to point out two things about this. Number one, his humility. His humility. It says he fell on his face and he begged. This picture is this deformed leprous man falling on his face before Jesus in the dirt, out of breath from running, It's not a respectable posture. His face is in the dirt begging Jesus. What that communicates is I have nothing to offer. 
absolutely nothing to offer. I don't have a resume to give you. I don't have a reason why you would save me or why you would heal me or why you would clean me. I'm just coming on behalf of your mercy, your love, your goodness. Now, remember from Luke 4 a few weeks ago, covering Jesus in his hometown, who are the only people Jesus saves? Spiritually poor people the spiritually bankrupt, not spiritually middle-class or spiritually rich, spiritually poor, and this man gets it. This dude understands, I have nothing to offer. I am poor. He falls on his face and begs Jesus. He has no other hope. His humility is admirable. And number two, his faith. His faith. What's he say? If you will, you can make me clean. There's so much faith and trust uh, um, that are thrusted through these words, right? The, The language here, by the way, of begging, when it says just before when he fell on his face and begged, is continuous, like almost a continuous chant is what it would kind of communicate of like, in our verse, it just says that he said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. But him begging would communicate and insinuate that he's actually saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Like over and over and over again, he's saying this one line and you see the faith in it. You can make me clean. Not maybe, not potentially, not if I found you on the right day. You can make me clean. You can do it if you want. There's so much faith in this. And, uh, and so a leper abandoned by all approaches Jesus by faith. And look how Jesus responds. Before we read verse 13, to an abandoned leper who broke the law to get to Jesus, to a leper believed to be wildly contagious, to a leper deemed spiritually sinful, to a leper socially outcast. What does Jesus do when he gets to him? Look at verse 13. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Okay, so our next part two of the story is a leper affectionately cleansed by Jesus. Now, if you missed this, I want to read this again. Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him. The favorite part of my story is that one phrase right there. If you underline, you mark in your Bible, underline or circle, he touched him. Massively significant that Jesus touched him. Why did he touch him? Two specific reasons. If you're taking notes, number one, because Jesus is affectionate, not apathetic. Because Jesus is affectionate, not apathetic. Now, this leper hasn't been touched by a non-leprous hand in probably a decade. Um, And so if you're playing out the story, it was actually illegal to even greet a leper. So if you're playing out the story, he's still face down in the dirt. He's not looking at Jesus. He's just face down begging over and over again. Lord, if you can, you can make me clean. Lord, if you can, you can make me clean. Or if you will, you can make me clean. And as he's saying this, Jesus bends down his divine knee, stretches his hand out, and the leper experiences a sensation he hasn't felt in probably 10 years a touch on his back, on his shoulder, wherever it was. And who was it but the divine God of the universe, Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Oh, and by the way, City Light, you need to get this. Jesus doesn't need to touch someone to heal them. He doesn't. Just in Luke, uh, previously in Luke 4, he heals Simon's mother-in-law. And how does he do it? He stands over her and he speaks. He rebukes it. There are times in Jesus's life where he says, this person's going to get healed and they're not even by him. And the person gets healed. Jesus didn't have to touch the leper at all. So you have to ask the question, why? Why touch him? Because Jesus is affectionate. 
because this man hasn't experienced a touch in probably 10 years and there's something special about a touch. There's a couple in our church, Nate and Brenna Graz. Nate's uh, um, an elder in our church and, uh, and he actually got COVID. And so, and Brenna hadn't, and Brenna's a lawyer. She's kind of the sugar mama. And so anyways, there was like, hey, you need to go, you need to go to work. So let's separate. And so Nate's, uh, Nate literally quarantined in their basement and Brenna would like bring in meals and just like set at the bottom of the stairs and like come up. And then they would have like these dates, like COVID dates where, you know, he's at the top of the stairs and she's here and they'd kind of, you know, talk and they're separated and whatever else. And I was talking to him. I'm like, how did that date compare to going to Laszlo's together or Blue Sushi together and holding her hand when you walk in and praying together and then giving her a hug afterwards? He's like, oh, not even. Like it was, I'll take it. I'll take a date, you know. What's the point is that there's something special about a touch that words just can't do. I can tell my daughter I love her over and over and over again, but you know what really shows her I love her? When I pick her up and I hold her and I look at her, I'm like, you're the most beautiful thing in the world. There's something special about a touch that words just can't do. And that's what this man's experiencing is the touch of Jesus. He could have said he's healed and the man would have been healed, but he touches him. What, what does this matter? Why are we drawing this out? Because I want you to know that Jesus draws near to you when you feel separated from him. Jesus is a relational God, an intimate God, a personal God. When everyone else rejects us, he pulls us close. And by the way, people reject us because they know some bad things about us. Jesus knows the worst about us and yet he still pursues us. So I want you to know this morning, he's not repulsed by you. He's not avoiding you. He's not pushing away from you. He is drawing close, near and near, and he reaches out with a divine touch. Now, as I've walked with Jesus for a little while now, close to a decade, it's become easy as I've read the Bible and understood more about Jesus that he just unconditionally, inexhaustibly loves me. A friend that uh, I have says it's the straight jacket of grace. There's like no way you can get out of God loving you. It's just who he is if you've trusted in Jesus. But what's been difficult, so that took me a while to be convinced of, but what's difficult now in my walk, about 10 years in, is not just not believing that Jesus loves me, but not believing that he likes me or that he enjoys me. It's like, I get it totally that you love me. You died for me, of course, but it's hard for me to wrap my head around. Do you actually like care about me? Like, are you, do you, do you like me? Do you, do you want to be around me? Do you enjoy me? Are you the dad that just knows like, well, mom's been nagging, so I got to take you fishing. Are you the dad that's like, I just want to hang out with you, man. I love spending time with you. And that's, I don't know how you guys feel, but sometimes it's been, it become easier for me to understand he loves me, hard to believe he likes me or enjoys me. And this is a communi- this is Jesus communicating in intimacy. I enjoy you. I'm not just tolerating you or loving you because I have to or because of who I am. I enjoy you. I love you. It's personal. That's the first reason he touched him. The second reason he touched him is that he wants us to know Jesus makes the unclean clean. Jesus makes the unclean clean. Now, the unclean, this is just normal logic, is supposed to make the clean unclean. You tracking with me? I'm gonna say clean and unclean a lot, but you'll track. Okay, a leper, if they even peeked their head into a house, the whole house was deemed unclean. 
even just uh, popping their head in, right? Like that's crazy. But think about it. If, we're, uh, if someone with COVID, unclean, hugged someone without COVID, clean, the unclean gets, or the clean gets unclean. You know what I mean? Like you probably gonna get COVID, maybe, I don't know. But as it tracks like that, think of muddy shoes on a clean floor. All the moms in the room have PTSD in this moment, as I say that. You're like, don't bring it up. It, we got over it, you know, I, you know, we reconciled, but think about it, muddy shoes in a, on a clean floor. The clean floor doesn't make the muddy shoes clean. The muddy shoes make the clean floor dirty, right? And it's the same thing you would assume with being unclean and sin and leprosy and something contagious, getting the clean unclean. But Jesus doesn't work that way, does he? His cleanness touches the leper's uncleanness and he is made clean. No matter how unclean you are, I want you to hear me say this this morning, Jesus can make you clean. Jesus can, and he can't be made unclean. It's the story of the gospel, isn't it? We don't have to clean ourselves up to be with Jesus. And, and just so you know, we're baptizing 14 people today. Isn't that amazing? Can we clap for that? 14 people are getting baptized. That's bonkers. It's amazing. You're gonna hear stories it's awesome, but I want you to know that not a single person getting baptized cleaned themselves up. And we have to f- tell people all the time that are getting baptized, you're not clean enough to get baptized. You don't get your life together enough and then you finally can get baptized. I'm convinced, I'll bet the deed to my house that there are people in this room that should have got baptized today, but you decided not to because you felt like you weren't ready or you weren't good enough or you hadn't read your Bible enough or you're still struggling with that sin. Are you kidding me? Do you think that this is about you? Cleaning yourself up, getting ready. Oh, and by the way, let's track that logic. The day you do get baptized means that you think you arrived, which is not a good place to proclaim your relationship with Jesus. There's this aspect in us that just for some reason thinks that Christians are good people and we're not. We're broken. We're the most aware that we're messed up. And yeah, is Jesus transforming us and are good things coming? 100%. But we are vastly aware that we're sinful. That's why we need a savior. And so if you're getting baptized today, you know that this is me proclaiming I'm broken and Jesus is making me clean and whole and for everyone else to know that. But there's something in us that believes I've got to kill this sin before I talk to Jesus. I've got to stop drinking uh, every weekend hard before I can start going to church. Once I change this, I'll get back in the community and start talking. It's just so pervasive. I'm telling you, Jesus meets us when we're unclean at the bottom because that's where all of us are. And the second thing I want to say about this is there is a pervasive thought and a lie that we think we can be too dirty for Jesus. Okay. And I'm betting the deed to my house. My wife's like, stop betting the deed to our house. But I'm betting as much as I have to say there are people in this room under the impression that you're too dirty for Jesus. I don't know why and where along the way church started to become that. But as I look through this book, all I see is dirty people and one clean person, his name's Jesus. And he's redeeming and he's cleansing and he's saving and he's restoring and he's healing and he's and all that. It's beautiful. But like, I just want you to know, if you think you're too dirty for Jesus, you don't have too low of a view of yourself. Listen to me, not say, hey, it's okay. You're better than you think you are. No, your view of yourself actually could go even lower. The problem though, is not your view of yourself. It's your view of God. Do you know what it communicates when you look to God and go, ah, I'm too dirty for you to make me clean. Ah, I sin too much for you to save me. 
do you think he's a puny little genie that can grant some and not? He's the God of the universe. And his son died a sacrificial death on the cross so that any and all of us could be saved, right? You're not too dirty um, uh, to be cleaned by Jesus. You're not too sinful to be saved by Jesus. This is the story of the gospel. And if there were people that were too dirty, it would no longer be the good news. It would be the all right news for the good and cleaned up. It's the good news because it's for bad people like me and like you. Jesus says, I am clean. I break all the categories. Not only can you not make me unclean, but no matter how defiled you are, no matter how stained you are, no matter how tainted, no matter who you are, or what you've done, no matter what your record is, the minute I touch you, you're fit for the presence of God. The minute I touch you, my cleanness becomes your cleanness. This is the gospel. This is our story. And so he, he approaches Jesus by faith and, uh, and Jesus affectionately heals him. And look what happens in the rest of 13. I will, Jesus says, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. In that moment, picture this. His face started to form back to what it used to be. His toes and his fingers grew back to what they were. His legs straightened again. The wounds covering his body uh, heal in a moment. And how does Jesus respond to this vast miracle? How does he respond? Look at verse 14, last verse we're going to cover. And he charged him to tell no one. Uh, Okay, uh, but go and show yourself to the priest. That doesn't sound super fun. And make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. Uh, reading this for the first time, I was so confused and kind of angry at verse 14. Can I be honest? It's like, Jesus, you just did the most miraculous thing for this man. Let him enjoy it for a second. It, like, it, this is literally like you getting someone their dream gift or present. And then immediately in light of that, slowing them down and going, okay, I know you like it. I know you like it, but, but I did put the gift receipt in the box, okay? You have 30 days to return it if you want to return it. There is a warranty that you could get. I didn't get it for you. I don't know if you need it, but there, it's like, Jesus, just let him celebrate the gift. You know what I mean? Like why bog him down with all this stuff and the formalities of don't tell anybody and go to the priest. Like, what are you, what are you doing, Jesus? Let the dude stretch his legs out and run a lap. You know, give him a mirror to look at himself. Take a selfie with him. I don't know, something. But like for a moment, just let him experience the joy of it. Why? We have to ask the question, why does Jesus respond this way to the miracle? Here's the answer because Jesus knew he had to do this to integrate back into society. The leper had to do what Jesus said in order for him to integrate back into society. See, Leviticus 13, we covered about what to do if you're a leper. Leviticus 14 actually give instructions for what to do if you're actually miraculously cleansed from leprosy. It was an eight-day um, extended, fairly elaborate and joyful ceremony. And at the end of these eight days of what you would do coming to the priest, the leper was confirmed clean by the priest and would be welcomed back in the community. If he doesn't do this though, if he just celebrates the gift, uh, he can say all day long, look at my body, I'm clean. And yet no one will accept him. Nobody would welcome him back in the community had he not done what he was supposed to be doing in that. And so just to explain a little bit, I'd encourage you to read Leviticus 14 on your own and see it's really beautiful, but at, and it's kind of confusing, I'll be honest, but at the end of the eighth day, but the Bible is beautiful, you know, you'll love it. Uh, but at the end of the eighth day, <laughs> 
you would sacrifice three unblemished lambs, okay? At the end of the eighth day, there'd be other things, but at the end, that's what you would do. And they were for different reasons. But process this with me. You have to offer three unblemished lambs. Unblemished lambs aren't free. You had to pay for them. A leper who's just spent the last decade with leprosy, full of leprosy, almost dying, doesn't have any money doesn't have anything in the bank account. And so how did he come up with these three unblemished lambs? My best guess is that someone gifted them to him. And isn't that a picture of the gospel for us? This, this sacrifice that has to happen, you can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't make it on your own. The sacrifice needed to be an unearned gift. And that's exactly what Jesus is. And what I love about this story, you have to catch it, is that Jesus is expanding our understanding of the gospel to not just um, a new relationship with Jesus vertically, but also a new relationship horizontally with each other significant to understand. You don't just get united with Christ when you accept him, you get united to his whole family. And that's what happened with this man. There's more to, uh, to what Jesus has done than just making us clean. He's also invites us into community. So imagine those very first hugs. Uh, uh, again, we're not sure how old this guy was or what his previous life was before leprosy, but maybe he was married or had kids. And for the last 10 years, he hasn't been able to hug him or see him. Imagine that first embrace between a father and his kids. I, I'm back, you know? Think about the first dinner uh, on the Sabbath around the table, reminiscing on stories and celebrating grace and what Jesus has done and, and, and all that. I mean, imagine the first time he's back in the temple to hear the word preached and hearing people sing. Imagine being restored back to what he had lost because of leprosy. It's the beauty of the gospel, isn't it? That... Affection and acceptance are offered through Jesus to the abandoned. So let me ask you this morning, do you feel far off? Do you feel abandoned, alone? Jesus wants to show you affection, a divine, gracious touch. He's near. Do you feel far off from people, uh, left to fend for yourself, alone? Jesus wants to invite you into this bigger family. And so let me ask this in means of application to make this practical. I want to speak to the Christians in the room those that identify with Jesus, are we treating cleansed saints like unclean sinners? Are, are we collectively, are you personally treating cleansed saints as unclean sinners? And I just think this is so pervasive in the church today, unfortunately, where um, there's people who have ran their life into the gutter. I mean, just the worst of the worst, whatever. And then they get saved by Jesus. And all of us are like, I don't really know. I mean, can you imagine the eighth day, that ceremony, and the three unblemished lambs are sacrificed. And this leper, the man that we're talking about in Luke 5 is healed. And he goes through the eight days and he's finally fully deemed clean. And he walks in, I mean, he puts his best out outfit on. He's excited, sprays some cologne. He's ready, slicks his hair back, right? All that. And he walks into the temple and he's so excited to, for the first time in 10 years to be back in church, back in the temple with people. And everyone goes, what are you doing here? Uh, Jesus healed me. And then the priest made me clean. I thought, nah, I don't know if I think that's legit. I think you might still be contagious. I think you might still be dirty. You can sit over there. And we do the same thing 2,000 years later. Oh, I don't really know. I don't really know if 
Jesus healed you or transformed you or redeemed you. I'm not 100% sure, so you keep your distance. It's like we, we so easily are pushing what, who people used to be on who Jesus is now making them to be, and we can't get their past out of our minds, and so we pin it on their now, present, and future, and we're damaging them, and we're identifying people primarily with what they've done wrong rather than what they believe Jesus did right for them. You see that? And it's anti-gospel. It's the opposite of the gospel to define someone by what they've previously done instead of what Jesus has done for them. And so my question is, are we treating cleansed saints like cleansed saints? Or are we treating them like unclean sinners as they were before? I need you to know, this is my story. This is your story. This room is filled with lepers. And if you've trusted Jesus, you're clean, declared definitively. And if you haven't, you're still in the disease of sin. And Jesus offers you grace. This is our story. No, you're not pretty clean. No, you're not okay. No, you can't fix yourself. No, you're not partly broken. You are completely and utterly hopeless outside of Jesus. And our only option is like this leper to fall on our face in humble faith and beg Jesus to make us clean because we believe he can. And by his grace, joyfully, Jesus reaches out his divine hand, touches us and says, I will be clean. He's not an apathetic healer. He's near. His cleanness evaporates the debt and dirt of our sin. We get declared before the holy God of the universe, clean, loved, adopted, cared for, redeemed and whole. That's what happens in the gospel. By the way, I don't think that preaching this, these verses on Baptism Sunday was an accident. I think Jesus in his grace knew we were gonna do this today. And can you see with me the parallels between that eighth day ceremony and baptism? You tracking with me? When did the leper become clean? When Jesus made him clean. Uh, and so his ceremony, the eighth day, did it make him more clean? No. Did it make him more loved? No. Did it add a notch to his righteous belt? Not at all. It was just a public declaration of what Jesus had done privately. And it's the same thing with baptism. So every person that's getting baptized this morning, when were they made clean? When they trusted in Jesus, right? And so today, are they getting more clean? Not at all. Are they getting more loved by God? Not at all. They are infinitely immediately justified in Jesus when they trusted him originally. And today they get to proclaim that. And as a family, we have to decide, are we gonna be the people they go, I don't really know if you're contagious anymore. Are we gonna be people who just freak out and go, give me a hug, let me go. I mean, and I'm just telling you, let us be the second people because if we don't go crazy and freak out and celebrate, I've told people this before, but I will drop kick somebody, okay? It's not a pretty sight. I'll be in the newspaper. I'm okay for the sake of the gospel. I will run from that and just jump and drop. We need to freak out for the fact that Jesus has saved lives, that he invited people who were without hope and totally abandoned into the family of God, into his family. We just, that's the appropriate response. And so let's cheer, let's get excited. You're gonna hear some amazing stories and see some awesome baptisms of life change. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thanks for this family. I love these people. Uh, Jesus, we... Uh, 
we haven't earned a single ounce of your grace, and yet we stand today under a waterfall of it. And so God, thank you that it's inexhaustible, that it's rich, that it's full, and uh, just thankful for this church family. Thank you that you're saving people, God. A church can put on programs easily. A guy can get up and teach on the Bible. Uh, A band can sing songs. All of that stuff we can do on our own. People can attend an event, but your spirit has to move in order for people to be saved. And this is a tangible declaration that God, you have worked. We're not putting on a program or an event. This is a spiritual family and your spirit is on the move in this room today, saving and restoring and redeeming. And it's amazing to see you save lives. Jesus, would you continue to do more? And so God, I pray for everyone in the room who maybe hasn't trusted in Jesus yet, that you would draw them in. God, that you'd let them see the leprosy disease of sin that is taking over their life, that it's made them not whole and it's changed them from who they wanna be. And yet Jesus, you offer freedom and cleansing in you. And so I I just beg you, Jesus, that those people haven't trusted in you yet this morning, that you love and are pursuing, God, that they'd fall on their face before you and just in faith go, Jesus, I don't know exactly what this looks like, but if you can, or if you will, you can make me clean and you'd give them humble faith and save God. For all the rest of us in the room that you have cleaned and and saved and restored, God, I pray that we would walk in that beauty and the joy of that, that we would just... uh, Uh, enjoy what you've done for us and believe that you don't only just love us, but you enjoy us in that affectionate touch, Father. So I pray that we'd feel like you're near and uh, that you would compel us to be people who are excited about accepting cleansed uh, saints into the family. And uh, yeah, you're just amazing, Jesus. So continue to move through us and open our hearts as we hear these stories and see these celebrations. And and would would we cheer like crazy in your name? Amen.